Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that, you, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do not we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? For we have the mind of Christ, the word of the Lord. Indeed, thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Wes. I am no longer one of the pastors here at Pink Door, uh, which I think most of you know. I have uh, recently transitioned out uh, and resigned from the here. Um, but our family is still part of the church here, and uh, we look forward to learning and growing with all of you in the season ahead. Um, I was hoping to kind of silently transition out.
As I look back in the last you know, almost eight years, I think one of the resounding themes that has come up is this. Uh, there's a dearth of wisdom in the world. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of it. Um, not a lot of wisdom on display, and I'm not talking about politics here at all, um, although we could go down that road, but we're definitely not going to do that this morning. I just mean everyday, ordinary life. Um, you just don't come across a lot of wisdom in life, and I, I think that's because our default mode uh, as humans is fundamentally opposed to wisdom. Uh, and I think I'll describe what I mean by that with this anecdote from my own life recently, and, and there's a spoiler alert, which is that uh, I'm, I'm the fool in this one. Um, a lot of you know, I grew up in a farming community outside of a small town, about two hours northwest of here, and if it were up to me, uh, I would be farming somewhere in the Driftless region in southwestern Wisconsin, but I married a city girl, uh, and so I sealed my concrete covered traffic congested maybe written fate with an idea 16 long years ago we're in Michigan anyway I married a city girl uh, and so I'm not farming in south central Wisconsin I do real estate in the big city and a couple of weekends ago Jane and I were arguing uh, in front of our good friend Andrew about uh, living in the country. And you guys you guys know Andrew. Uh, he and his family started All Souls Church down in Phoenix. Uh, he's a church planner that we live in your support. Uh, shout out to Andrew. Anyway, he was in town a few weeks ago, and Jamie and I were getting coffee with him. Uh, and we were arguing about living in the country, and Jamie was winning the argument. And um, my, my response, my grand reply was, well, the problem in this situation is that you're seeing this from your perspective. And that's, that's the problem, really, that, that plays us all. Uh, especially me in that situation, uh, identifying that my wife was seeing this from her perspective uh, as I cast judgment from my own. So uh, that's, a, that's what I mean when I say that our default mode is opposed to wisdom, is that we're infatuated with our own perspective. Um, I also just want to clarify, when I, when I talk about wisdom, I don't mean like witty words that would resonate with us. Um, Tolstoy said, everything comes in time to those who know how to wait. I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm not talking about the ability to strategize or assess a situation. Um, definitely not the accumulation of knowledge or information. The internet is not wise. Um, and, and just being old in years and having a lot of stories to tell doesn't make you wise either. There's plenty of foolish old geezers out there. Um, the scriptures describe the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. And that is because we live in a God-centered existence. And even though everything in us is predisposed to reject that reality, um, my case in point with, with Jamie and I in our argument, um, we live in a God-centered world, God-centered universe, and 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that means recognizing first and foremost that He's God and we're not. And that everything in the universe spins its orbit around the access of God. His reality is inescapable. Even if you don't like it that He's at the center of all things. Even if you've labored to set up your entire world without Him, apart from Him, and against Him, it's true. He's God, and we're not. His presence and His power are absolutely inescapable. And wisdom, wisdom that I'm talking about this morning, it abounds from a posture, from a, a mindset that understands this, that He's God and we're not. It comes from a, a position of dependence, and it's birthed out of reliance on God. There's this built-in reality of the creation of the world that God offered it all, including us, and he authored creation and therefore has authority. That's, that's a reality that's more real than the chairs that we're sitting in this morning. It's, it's, it's more real than the air that we're breathing, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful because God is making... Um, excuse me. But because God is beautiful, the creation He's making is story. That's what I meant to say. We are like works of art that He is forming, even as we're living out the story that He's put us in. The purpose of the whole story, as far as we can tell, is for God to reveal Himself to us. That's why Jesus said, I came to give life and life that is full. When Jesus said that in John 10, He's saying more, it says more about Him who's coming to us than it does about what's in it for us. I've come to give life and life that is full. My point is that God is offering this thing that we know as reality, but more specifically, it's Him that's at the center of all this reality. The picture of a sovereign God is such an important building block of Christian maturity, and I want to belabor it a little bit more with uh, with maybe a bit of a sophomore kind of picture, so bear with me, but I'm visual, so I think this might help. Um, when I say that God is an author, and that he has authority, and that he's at the center of everything, that everything is in relation to him, I mean it like this. If you pick a plant, right, any plant, you can visualize in your mind our solar system, maybe you're floating through the twilight zone, maybe you have a picture of the solar system, uh, on the screen, in your mind, whatever. But that's our solar system. We've got the sun that's in the middle of it, and you pick a planet. Uh, let's say you're Saturn, maybe I'm... I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Grow up, people. I'm Jupiter, you're Saturn. It's, it's a picture of the created order, that we, these planets, were made to orbit around the sun. Right? If Jupiter looks around and says, hey, like, I'm bigger than all the rest of you. You guys should be circling around me. Well, what happens? It doesn't work. Right? It doesn't work on two fronts because Jupiter, Jupiter doesn't have the capability to make all the other planets circle around it because, well, it doesn't have the authority. And then the other, the other thing that doesn't work is that now, even though the rest of the planets aren't circling around Jupiter, Jupiter thinks that the rest should be circling around it, and now it's angry, and so everything turns into this big chaotic mess. What about you? If you're Saturn, right, and you're circling around the sun, and you start being concerned that you're maybe drifting away from the sun, 
and now you start working hard to try and get closer to the sun, right? Even though you're just cruising in that orbit. That's that's what that's what I mean when I say that God made everything and holds all authority, and that everything's in relation to Him, specifically Him being in the center, the middle of it all, which includes each of our stories. The wisdom that I'm talking about here this morning is the kind of wisdom that knows that God has all power and that he's at the center axis of life. I'm sorry, I'm belaboring this point, but um, we can't be where we want to be and extract meaning from that life because we lack authority. God has positioned everything in his creation around himself and so everything that happens is in relation to him. He's God or not. But more than that, he's good. He's not removed and waiting for us to fail in our independence. And he's not empowering us to be stronger, better versions of ourselves. Those are pictures of us at the center. Let me push a little bit more to get at what I mean here with wisdom. God has authority, and he's at the center. But even more than that, he's present in a way that takes responsibility for what's happening in all of it. Picture the incarnate word of God, Jesus the Christ. Picture him. Picture him as the master of the universe. And then look at the wounds in his flesh. The uncreated made to feel the literal pain of life. The offering God of the universe being made in the likeness of his own creation. Jesus had to learn to walk. Right? His parents had to explain concepts to him. Maybe he was afraid of the dark. He had to grow in stature. He felt the hurt of betrayal. He shared in the grief of loss. He experienced the shame of nakedness. Jesus is not just the master of the universe, but more than that. See his hands. See them outstretched over all of creation. See them scarred. He came and he tented among us in a way that hadn't hurt. He's present in his brain like that. He's not just sovereign at the center. He's also good. The wisdom I'm talking about this morning, this wisdom sings in perfect harmony when we are tuned to this God. That's why the sage in the Proverbs describes wisdom as the fear of the Lord. And then goes on to describe fools as despising wisdom and discipline. It's one thing to see yourself into thinking that God isn't God and that he isn't in control. But woe to the man who thinks he isn't good. The conclusion of Solomon in his writing of Ecclesiastes is this. Fear God and obey his commands. This is what we were made for. The fear of the Lord recognizes that he is both sovereign and good. That trusting him will bring about our greatest good. That joy is in store for those who yield to him. So, when I say that my biggest lesson over the last seven years is that there's a dearth of wisdom in the world, this is what I mean. I mean that we're a people who are constantly growing, forgetting that God exists and that he's ruling and present in all. So, let's 
get out of the head and get into some more practical stuff. Um, there's some places that I see that I think that we can grow in wisdom. And I want to encourage you to uh, use your creative impulse and envision uh, yourself in various circumstances. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 10 that they should not fear those who can kill the body who can't kill the soul. He tells them that rather they should fear the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. Jesus said, you can't fear both God and man. That we either have a high view of God and a low view of man, or we will have a low view of God and a high view of man. The fear of the Lord sees God as he is and does not need the mirror of humanity to convince him that he's awesome. Instead, the fear of the Lord instructs us that our own value and worth is not in question. Rather, for us, our lives, our stories, our experiences are for knowing the worth of God. Wisdom is confident in the grasp of a good and loving Father. Satisfaction comes from resting in this knowledge. Wisdom is not seeing results in the mirror of gratification from laughs generated from the people around you. Wisdom has the confidence that can both say hard words to other people while also accepting correction from those same people. People are important, so don't hear me belittling others when I advocate for fearing God. For sure, people are important, but they are important for the sake of loving them, not for loving ourselves. Wisdom fears God and loves the people around her. We get to taste and see that the Lord is good in a day-by-day way. We experience the transformation of our minds as our minds are renewed. Our daily experiences are opportunities to trust in the goodness of God, to fear Him and love the people around us, to rest in Him and say what needs to be said. Maybe your friend needs to hear the words they don't want to hear. Needs her patience and some words. Here's what I think, more likely, maybe you need to say some words to someone you don't want to say. Here's an example. A friend of mine, uh, a while back, turned 30, and he threw a big party and invited a lot of people, uh, and he celebrated what God has done, had done in his life at that point. And I think, on the whole, this friend was pretty successful up to that point. Uh, he had done well in school, he had a, a really good job, and he was a lot farther ahead uh, than a lot of people of his own age. And after this, this birthday party, um, the next day I was getting coffee with a friend of mine, a mutual friend, who was also at this birthday party. And uh, I mentioned that it was cool to see what our birthday buddy um, you know, was celebrating, to see the things that he had been able to accomplish in life and experience in life. Um, and I was sharing that with my, with my coffee friend. And my coffee friend confessed that he was struggling with it, that he was feeling depressed. Um, because every time uh, he would think about it, he could only think about what he had not been able to accomplish uh, in his life compared to, to our birthday buddy. It can be just as difficult to declare encouragement and affirmation to a friend who is succeeding where you are seemingly failing. Supposing someone just got a job they're excited about when you've been looking for work way longer than they have. 
that opportunity to fear God, that's an opportunity to fear God by that faith, stand excited with your friend. The fear of the Lord does not challenge his goodness, even when it yet seems unseen. The fear of the Lord has nothing to prove and no one to impress. The fear of man is enslaved to our own sense of control. The fear of man doesn't actually have anything to do with other people. Uh, it has everything to do with making yourself God. Whether, uh, whether you use other people's opinions to measure your own sense of goodness, or rightness, or worth, um, or you just blatantly disregard other people's opinion because you believe in yourself. The bottom line is, it's about me. Uh, and Jesus instructs us not to fear them who can only kill you. Let's think about this in terms of appearance. When you're living out, when you're living in the fear of man, you keep thinking about how people see you in that outfit. And your perception or their perception of you is valuable. You're putting something out there and assessing everyone's feedback, like a radar. There's an equal and opposite version of this, uh, to where you feel empowered in your disregard of other people's perception of you in that outfit. And frankly, sometimes your outfit, it comes off like original fashion. And sometimes it just needs to come off. But wisdom throws off this heavy, unfashionable chain now and sees through it into the heart of her friends. Maybe I lost you in a metaphor. Hear this. The fear of the Lord will cause you to love people with the clothes you wear. Who knew your life in Christ could be so practical? Do you have a liberated body? Our fat goals are unattractive. And nothing compares to the curves of the female form. But we are all naked and in submission to Christ. Your having or not having the goods neither add to nor subtract from your infinite value before our throne, scar body, Lord. Your body has been liberated by the bread and wine of this table and not your mind's eye. I challenge you to meditate daily from now until Christmas on the general revelation of creation. I challenge you to think on and pray to Jesus about the way in which he is specifically revealed through the picture of clothing. How does he reign in the way your body has been specifically formed? And how does he challenge you to clothe yourself with him? Kneel down before the Lord and let wisdom come to you as you meditate on his revelation in your wardrobe. Here's the upshot. Wisdom does not fear your fellow humans. It loves them. There's another place that witness a dearth of wisdom. We choose happiness at the expense of joy. I think God gave us hunger pangs as a word of revelation to us in creation. God does this, right? He gives us these pictures all over creation to reveal himself to us. Marriage being an often used and probably overused example, but this one, hunger pangs. Show of hands, how many of you regularly eat breakfast at your first meal of the day? Um, what happens when you wait so much later in the day to eat? You get distracted, right? You start doing funny things. You 
from his distant peter. Do you really need food? Will your body waste away if you don't eat until tomorrow? No. You're going to be fine. But that's how it is with happiness, right? Happiness is getting what I want. Joy receives life from somewhere else. It enables us to look out there more than we look in here. The fear of the Lord births in us an untouchable joy, while happiness lasts only as long as that thing is there. Imagine the stings of happiness. Sleep. Coffee. Not Chicago winter. Inbox at zero. Dropping my coat wherever it lands when I get home. Chloe place. Friendly, shallow conversation. Maybe it's deep, vulnerable interaction. Particular car. Not needing a car. Affirmation, job security, finding your passion, discovering your true self, living in a country, <laughs> working a farm, tending an orchard. You know, the things of happiness. Happiness begins and ends with me. Joy is from God, and it's for others, and it's unquenchable. Joy enables you to live in the city even when you were made to live in the country. <laughs> Wisdom sees through these things that are passing away. Wisdom loves joy and joy cherishes wisdom. I'm not saying that happiness isn't a healthy part of life. We should eat meals at some point in the day. But not getting what you want won't kill you. And even if you do die, well, know this, my fellow travelers. Death has been rendered powerless by those scarred hands that oversee this world. This world is passing away. And that is a good thing, indeed. Okay. One more way that I'm seeing the dearth of wisdom in the world today. It's this. It's our infatuation with this Enneagram thing. <laughs> Show of hands, show of hands, how many people out here uh, know what the Enneagram is and have found it really helpful? Yeah? Remember, how many of you don't know what the Enneagram is? Okay, we have a few. The Enneagram is a, it's an over-applied, all-explaining, geometrically challenging fashion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched a pressy ex pastor. Uh, hear me out. I'll try to be fair in once. Uh, it's dumb, okay? I am Because you're a number seven. For those of you who aren't familiar, the Enneagram is a, is a personality classification system that assesses prenatal and early, child, early childhood determinants to map your personality. And to be fair, the Enneagram is and can be a helpful tool for people to turn around and do the whole reflective work of seeing how they might be prone to cope with life in one particular way or another. Generally, patternistically, we've been shaped by circumstances and we shape our circumstances. 
So the enneagram seems to be helpful for people to be able to pause and see that. But no one is a number for the love. We have to see through this. The way we respond to the story of our life, in the story of our life, does not define us. Please, see our God enthroned at the center of your story, sharing his very self with you. You don't need to know your number, because you aren't one, or two, or nine, <laughs> any more than you're an 11, or a 23, or a 64, divided by your mother's feet, and your father's nine. Look, the fear of the Lord sees through this. The allure of finding out who you were meant to be is a dead end. It's useless because you weren't created as something pure in particular. It's been violated and victimized into a distorted picture of your true self. We need to see our resurrected Lord. See the wounds in his side and hands. He, the Lord of flesh, made into human flesh so that he might suffer unto perfection. Brothers and sisters, we are being created even as we are on this road of life. We are not getting back to anything. We are looking forward to one thing, and that one thing is sitting at the scarred feet of Jesus in perfect vision and delight. Wisdom stops trying to figure me out. It stops trying to figure other people out. Hear this. You don't have to figure anything out. Wisdom sees people. Period. Not in boxes. Not as numbers. Wisdom sees people. It sees them and then moves toward them with an eye to their weakness and pain. Wisdom sees people and she calls them to remember the one who has already remembered them and even now is remembering them. She instructs you and me that this experience, this situation, this hardship that we are now in, this too is passing away. That these present trials are in submission to Christ. Wisdom calls us to be patient, to be calm, to rest. For God's mercy is new this morning, and that mercy transforms us even as we are renewed day by day. That our physical form, though it bears the scars and hurts of this life, our physical bodies are changing because of the inescapable reign of Christ. We are not in the business of finding our center so that we can make sense of our situations. We aren't called to extract meaning from feeling at peace with ourselves. We are the redeemed of the Lord. That peace we yearn for comes from Him, fearing Him. He is calling us home, and it is in this very process that we are being made, formed, shaped into Christ-likeness, a.k.a. who we are meant to be. See to it that no one takes you captive to follow the subject geometric patterns which depended on the center's wings rather than on Christ. Here's another way of play. Discovering what you were made to do. Finding your passions. Give up on doing what you were made to do, friends. Fear God and accept your lot in life. Work will always be toil, no matter how much dark chocolate you covered in. God said plain and clear, curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will work of it. Through thorn and thistle you will pick fruit of it. The fear of the Lord frees 
useless from the spot of finding our passion. And wisdom steers us clear from the road of discovering what we were meant to do. Doing what you're passionate about is great, and I hope you're excited about the things you do. But doing what you're passionate about won't fix anything. Finding your passion is a modern shortcut past faith. Even if you discover what you were meant to do, then what? You still have to do it! Right? It's still going to be just as toilsome as what you're trying to avoid right now, except then that thing you were made to do is ruined because it's work too! <laughs> Wisdom knows that we were made to trust God working this first round so we can treasure the flowers that he springs forth from him. Wisdom laughs the Enneagram because she sees that we won't know who we were made to be until we all gather around the throne and worship the beauty of his holiness in perfect sight. You guys can say it, I'm fixing it later. But remember this. Our Lord eats the Enneagram for breakfast. <laughs> Let me end with this. And this, this is really matters. Um, Paul writes that we've been given the mind of Christ. Those are words that I, I hesitate to even say because they're hallowed. But our brother says this, so I'm going to say it to you. Brothers and sisters, we have been given the mind of Christ. And what is this mind? It is humility and dependence. Jesus knew who his father was, and he abided in him in humility and dependence. Picture Jesus in your mind and see him truly. The most beautiful human who has ever lived. He lived in humility and dependence on his Father in heaven, who is the exact center of all things. He rested in that. He gave himself vigorously from that place of rest. He lived in the fear of the Lord, and in this way, he authored and perfected our faith. He was made perfect through that suffering and became the firstborn among many. See him now with those scarred hands and feet standing and reigning in the midst of all of his creation. See him and know his mind is yours. The fear of the Lord, wisdom, is yours. The fear of the Lord, wisdom, it's not an object that we get and then lose and have it or not again. It's a posture, it's a frame, it's a position. That's what faith is. It's the mind of Christ. It's humility, dependence, submission, yielding, reliance on God. It's the fear of the Lord. It's that pattern life that receives and cherishes wisdom. It cherishes her as a precious and life-giving bride that guides and emboldens along the way. She's strong and constant and always waiting for you. Sound familiar? She's like the Spirit of God. Yes. And what does this blessed Spirit bring about in us? This is the only thing that counts. Brothers and sisters, let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Brothers and sisters, the only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself through love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this family, for this church, these people that you've gathered together, that you have called us your own. Um, I ask that you would generally.